Amen. Are you ready for the word this morning? I promise you today, if you take what the Lord has for us to heart and you practice it, I promise you, you're going to start scaling in spiritual things like you've never done before. One thing I've always asked God is, don't let me bring a word here that is just from my own feelings. So I seek the Lord. And I know this one message was not only just for me, I know it's for every one of us here. So please, let this not be a Sunday that you just come to church. If you can take notes, take notes. If you want the notes of this message, please ask me. I will give you my notes because this is what we all want to work on for our own lives. We really need to. Because like we've been saying, the things that are tripping us, mature Christians, the things tripping us up are really not spiritual things. We are good in the spiritual things. We pray. We study the word. Those things have not become issues anymore. It's the little foxes. The little foxes is what's really, really, really destroying believers. Those things that we don't think is a sin. We think of them as weaknesses. But they are really the big things like God is looking at. And those have become walls. Jericho walls that we must begin to break down. And I mean that. In all honesty, this message today, if you take it to heart and you really examine yourself truthfully between you and the Lord and you decide to make a change, you will see what God will do in your life. So we are going to talk today about the destruction of offense. The destruction of offense, destroying the root of offense, the spirit of offense in our lives. It has become a potent weapon. It has become the cancer of the body of Christ. People are no longer rooted. People have become vagabonds, spiritual vagabonds. People don't love because of offense. Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 to 10. And this I pray, Paul says... That your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That you may prove the things which are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. That's the desire of the Lord that we don't have any offense in our lives. Matthew chapter 18 verse 7. Jesus is speaking. He says, woe to the world because of offenses. Woe, and I will go into what that word woe means. Woe to the world because of offenses. He says, for offenses must come. You can't run from it. It's sure to come to every one of us. He says, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, and then 10 to 12. This was the disciples. They went to Jesus. They asked, what are the signs or what will be the signs of your coming again? Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? 
And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And he went ahead and talked about the earthquakes and and the wars and the rumors of war and the pestilences. But listen to another sign that he talked about in verse 10. He says, and then many will be offended. Many. And if you look at that original word, many, it means majority. He's saying that majority, and he's talking about believers. We're not talking about unbelievers. Because the disciples were saying, how will we know that is the time for you to come back? And he says, majority of believers will be offended. They will betray one another, and they will hate one another. And it's a progression. It starts with offense. Offense will always lead to betrayal. And betrayal will always lead to hatred. And in verse 11, it says, then, that is the key word, when there is offense, which has led to betrayal, which has led to hatred, then that person who is walking in that, in that way, who, who has that in their heart, then the Bible says, many false prophets will rise up and deceive those people. So offense leads you, opens you up to deception. And it says, when you are deceived, or when the believer is deceived, lawlessness will abound, and their love will grow cold. You see the deception, how it progresses, just because of offense? Like I said, this is a huge thing. We talked about destroying walls. God told the the Israelites, you have to go to, to, to the land of promise. For us, we have a land of promise too. We have things we are believing God for. We have callings in our life. We have mantles in our life. We reach the point in our Christian work, we are telling ourselves, you know what? I've been a believer for this many years. It's time for me to do what God has called me to do. Every one of you here, if I call everyone here, you know what it is that God has put on your heart. You have a desire. You have something you want to do. You want your life to matter. We all do. God has put eternity in all of our hearts. And until we are doing something that is fulfilling, that is going towards what has called us and what God has purposed for us, you never feel complete. You always feel that something is missing, that you are not doing something of importance in the kingdom of God. And for you to be able to achieve that, you have to live a life that is void of offense. We all get insulted. We we all get hurt. We all get betrayed. Things happen to all of us. As long as you are in this body, Jesus says offenses will come. The question is, it's not that it's not going to come. The question is, how do you handle it as a believer when offense comes to your door? That's what we're going to talk about today. Because it's crucial that you learn how to handle it. Because we've just seen that the Bible says if you don't handle it, eventually it will lead to your love of Jesus being cold. And when you have a love that is cold, you will not be able to do anything. Period. We cannot. I've been a pastor now with my husband. This is our 22nd year in ministry. I can tell you what I have seen offense do to people. People that I know now, they will be so... They will have stature in the kingdom of God. All you see them writing about on Facebook is how somebody is this. Somebody did that to them. This did that to them. This, I mean, they become vagabonds. 
Just because somebody offended them. And they could not take it to the Lord and deal with it according to what scripture says to do. Offenses will come. Believe me, you will leave. Some of you are even offended that I'm talking about offense right now. <laughs> Who is she to talk to me about that? But I'm not talking as Angela. Is God speaking to all of us? He's talking to me too. He's talking to me too. It's a cancer. It's become an, a weapon that's really, really, really destroying destinies. What is offense? Offense is a trap of the enemy. The original word of offense means scandalon, scandal. It means a part of a trap. It's a trap or a snare. But actually, it's the part of that trap that you put the bait on. When you want to catch that rat and you bait it with cheese, that part that the cheese stays in, that's what is called offense. That's where the key word comes from. And so what the enemy, we know what, when we set a trap, I don't know how many of you here have ever set a trap or you know about a trap to catch an animal or something. What are the reasons you set a trap? You said that, that that rat or whatever has come into a space that is not supposed to be theirs. They have encroached into your territory or they are doing some damage to you and you want to get rid of them. That's exactly what you're doing to the enemy when he sets a trap for you. For you to take an offense. So you find out a believer when a good thing is about to happen to you. When God has begin to use, is beginning to use you to destroy the kingdom of the enemy. Or when God wants to raise you to another level spiritually. You, those are the times you need to watch for offense. So as a believer who is spiritually smart, after today, when offense comes your way, you need to first of all stomp and say, Gosh, what bait, what trap? Is this trying to take away from my life? What am I doing to the enemy's kingdom? Or what is coming to me that the enemy has seen that he wants to use this trap, this bait, this offense to take away from me? And you tell him, no. Is it going to be good on this flesh? Uh-uh. You want to lash out. You want to show them I can also hurt you. But when you do that, the enemy is like, I got you. Let's look at this. Jesus says, woe. Woe. What does woe mean? Woe means great sorrow. This is just Oxford Dictionary. I just typed on my phone, woe. The meaning of woe means great sorrow, distresses, misery, problems, difficulties, and troubles. Let me read that again. When Jesus says woe, let me read Luke 17. Let's, let, me, let me read the scripture. That was another scripture of woe that he mentioned. Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 2. Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offense should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. So people that go around trying to offend people, and even those that receive the offense, is the same root that it comes from. And we'll go to that. It's the root of self. 
And we're going to go to that. But the word I want to pick on there, it says woe. That woe, that's what I was saying, it means sorrow, great sorrow, distresses, misery, problems, difficulties, and troubles. Who, who wants that? Who wants that just because somebody hurts your feelings? Or you did good to them and they repaid you with evil? Just let them go. You don't want all of this in your life. And look at traps. I decided, I said, let me look at what does trap. Since the Bible says the word offense comes from a trap, setting a trap, what does trap mean? What does a trap do? They said when an animal is caught in a trap, there's excruciating pain, there's psychological trauma to that animal, there's severe injuries to that animal, and there's self-amputation. They struggle so much that sometimes they leave part of their body behind. There's immobilization, there's dehydration, and then eventually there's death. Think about it spiritually. Is that not the same thing that offense does when you take offense? Somebody does something and you don't forgive that person? Or you don't let it go? Spiritually, doesn't it cause you spiritual trauma? Doesn't it cause you spiritual pain, emotional pain? Does it not injure you spiritually? You have a wound in your soul. And then you think you're hurting the person. It says self-amputation. You are drinking poison, thinking the other person who is having fun is going to die. You are hurting your own self. Self-mutilation. And then immobilization. It holds you down. You cannot grow. You can't read the Bible and get anything from it. You can't do anything spiritual. And then slow death. Slow spiritual death. The spiritual life, no power anymore. It's all mouth. You can't pray. You can't read the word of God. It is a sin to stay offended. It is a sin. Hear me. The enemy will, it's, a, it's like a temptation. The enemy will come to tempt you, but please don't fall for it. Please don't fall for it. See, there are things that we consider in Christianity... We have labeled sins. We put labels. There's the big, big sin like adultery and fornication, mama. And then small sin, maybe lying, whatever. And then there are things we call weakness. It's just, I'm weak. It's a weakness of mine. We get angry in my family. We are redheads. I'm from, we eat jalapeno peppers. So it boils, makes my... <laughs> So we call it weaknesses. But like I said, the Bible says the little foxes. It's not the big ones. If Satan wants to put this on your head, if he put, does that, you will see it right away. And you take it off. But what he does, he will tear a little piece and put it on there. You don't even know. Look at what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. It says, these things, six things the Lord hates. That's a that's a God usually doesn't hate. So that's a very powerful word. It says, these six things the Lord hates. Indeed, seven are repulsive to him. Let's look at the things that God repulses God. A proud look. I'm better than you. I know scriptures more than you. I have a PhD. You're just a college, whatever, high school. You can't talk when I'm talking. 
The attitude that makes one overestimate oneself and discount others. A lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that creates wicked plans. A heart that creates one evil to happen to people. That when you hear your brother is suffering or your sister is suffering because they did you wrong, your heart is happy about it. God, that repulses God. He says, feet that run swiftly to evil. Listen to this, verse 19. A false witness who breathes out lies. He says, even have truths. So there might be some element of truth, but if you are the one trying to use that to destroy somebody else, God says it's repulsive to him. And listen to this one. And one who spreads discord or rumors among brothers. Those are sins that we don't consider. We consider them weakness. I love to gossip. Oh, when I pick up the phone, before I know it, I'm saying what I shouldn't say. It's a weakness of mine, Pastor. It's repulsive to God. In Sunday school today, as we were teaching, as, as my beautiful sister Colleen was teaching, she was talking about Rahab, the prostitute. She was a prostitute, but she's the one that God picked. And at the end of this uh, Sunday school class, she said, everybody tell us, after you've heard this story, what impressed you about Rahab? Somebody said courageous. Somebody said she was helpful. Somebody said she was kind. They started using all different words. And in my mind, I'm thinking, no wonder God picked her. She was an adulterer. She was a harlot, fornicator. She was known for that. But when God was looking for the person to pick, he picked her, although she may have had the big sins that we all consider to be big sins, but the heart, her heart was good. And so as believers, what is in our heart? The Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? But you can know it. You can tell God, I have spread your light in my heart and show me any wicked ways in me so I can repent. I have seen things, especially since my husband passed away, I have seen the way human beings are. And sometimes they are the ones that carry the biggest Bible. They are the ones that know scripture and they, they know chapter and verse. They can quote scriptures. But the wickedness in men, a bishop told me, God, should I say this? Yes, I will, Lord. A bishop told me that they, want, they, they, they knew from the very first day that my husband was going to die. When they heard it, I'm like, okay, why are you telling me that? And you are the one telling me, God, help is on the way. We are fasting, we are praying for you. And you, you, you had that in your heart. People, I'm telling you, so I'm saying, and, I'm being very, and I will be very open here today because like I said, this is where we all, we all need to. We all need to wake up because we can think. In First chap- uh, Corinthians chapter 13, we might think we are doing right. We are doing miracles. We are even giving our bodies to be burned. We are prophesying. We quote scripture, but the Bible says if you don't have love, what did it say? 
You are absolutely nothing. Absolutely zero. He says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. He didn't say, by preaching a great message. He didn't say, by the miracles that you do. He didn't say, by prophesying. He said, the only way that men will know you are my disciples is the love that we have for one another. That I will see you, no matter what you do, I'm thinking good. The Bible says love covers. Love covers a multitude of sin. So even if you sin against me, I want to cover it. I, don't want, to, if I want to cover it. I don't want anybody else to know. Because I don't want to expose you. That is what God is asking of all of us. And we better wake up. Because if we are thinking that we, we are going to make it to heaven and we don't take care of all of this, we'll be surprised when he says, I don't know you. Because knowing the Lord has a lot to do with that word, no. I think I did a sermon on that. The people that know their God, please go listen, go, go watch it if you can. The people that know their God, that know. It's not just, I know mama. It's not just that. There's a lot to that. Do we know God? Do we know God? So we talk about big sins, the little, little sins as well, the little things that we really need to start taking care of. How we treat people, how we look at people. Spiritual pride. You can quote scripture and so what, but if you don't love, you're nothing. What causes offense? What makes people, what makes people, the first thing, like I said, is not working in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 to 7, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. So if you're jealous of people, you're already out. If you want to tell everybody how good you are, you're already out. It says, Love is not rude. Just stop there. Love is not rude. Just stop there. How many rude Christians do we have? No honor anymore among brothers and sisters. People don't honor people anymore. Love does not demand its own way. If I don't do this, if they don't allow me to do this, you get offended. Love is not irritable. It does not keep record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up on anybody. Don't give, you don't throw people away. Never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. And love endures through every circumstance. Love is the best measure of your faith. How you love people is the measure of your faith. John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. It says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. It says, By this all we know, that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. When love is absent, you're quick to believe evil. 
you are quick to either give or take offense. Another thing is self-focus. Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 says, Let nothing be done, nothing, nothing, not one thing. Don't do one thing. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. When I see you, I'm always thinking, oh, she knows something I can get from. She's better than me. Humility, humble yourself. Not, you know. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. And this has to do with what we call ego. In everybody, every one of us here, have, we all have an ego. And I'm going to have you, I'm going to have a, a 10 questions I will just have you all go through. Your ego, I'm going to do, a, you know, I, 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 I did psychiatry, so I know some things about these things. And I, look, I was reading, I said, you know what, let me bring this so that we can use it. Everyone, your ego is where your self-worth, your self-esteem, and your self-centeredness, your focus on yourself, that's where they reside. People that have a high sense worth of self-worth or a high sense of self-esteem but lower level of self-centeredness, they are those that usually don't go around offending people or taking offense. But when you have a fragile, what we call a fragile ego, a fragile ego is an ego that is easily shattered. And it's one, maybe because of what's happened to you, your upbringing, you have a low self-esteem, a low self-worth, but a very high level of self-focus, or what we call self-centeredness. So let's identify, I'm going to ask 10 questions here, and I don't want you to answer out, but in your mind, if you say yes, do this. And see how many yeses you have, okay? That's how to identify people that have a fragile ego. All right, ready? Number one, you always look for validation to feel good. If you do something, you always want somebody to say, well, well done, Angela, for you to feel good. Okay? Number two, constructive criticism is not handled very well. So if somebody criticizes you, even if it's constructive, the first thing, your reaction is, you, you don't tell me what to do. Okay? Yes or no? Number three, you're easily irritated, you're impatient, and people around you tend to work on eggshells. You know what that means? When they see you coming, oh, that's a bomb about to go off. Okay, number four, you quickly see where people are doing wrong. So if somebody is singing now, you're, you, you will notice the key that's missing, or you will notice the thing that they did wrong. Okay? Number five, what you need, your needs, is, is more, you're more focused on, oh, I, don't have, I have bills to pay. So if somebody is on the street, maybe asking you for money to eat, you tend to think more of me, me, me. Okay? That's number five. Number six. Are you all saying yes or no? Are you all taking? Okay. Okay. <laughs> number six. When somebody does something to you, you tend to focus more on that than when you do something wrong to people. So if, we're, if people, two people are kind of having an argument, if I come, are you tend, always wanting to say, okay, this is what she did, or you know what? I think I did something wrong. You know, I'm sorry. You know, so are you quick to see where you went wrong or you're quick to see where others went wrong? Okay? Number seven, 
most of your conversation are always focused on you and what somebody did to you. Number eight, when you, nobody takes a suggestion, we're making suggestions, let's do this, let's do this, and you say that, they say, oh, no, not that. How do you feel? You feel insulted or you don't feel insulted? Number nine, you're quick in a meeting or in a group to tell people the, good, the gifts that you have, the talents that you have and what you can do. So you're quick to point out your talents and your good parts and what you're able to do. And then number 10, you're resentful or angry. Personally, you may not let people know, but inside of you, you're kind of angry or resentful when somebody does better than you. So you have four singers here on Sunday morning. And one of the singers, the other one is singing and everybody's responding really well. And you that's over here. You're kind of resentful. Why would she sing better than me? Okay? So, if you, are, if you got like five, above five of those as yes, you have a fragile ego. Your ego is fragile. You are the one person you're more vulnerable to being offended and you're more vulnerable for offending people. And so how do you do that? How do you take care of that? It's for you to go to scriptures and do like a scripture Bible study of, of ident- your identity in Christ. That's usually how to take care of that. Just do your own Bible study on your identity in Christ and see what Christ says you are because that will help build up your self-esteem and your self-worth and lower your level of self-focus and self-centeredness. That was psychology. I put that aside. Let's go back to scripture. <laughs> Number three. What causes people to be offended or to give out offense? Disappointed expectations. When you expect so much from people. And typically, those that we expect a lot of things from, it's not somebody you just met on the street. Mm-mm. You don't care about what they think about you. It's usually close people to you. People that love you, that you love, that you've invested in. People that are, you know, your bosses, your pastors, you know. So look at what... Uh, David said in Psalm 55, verse 12 to 14, he said, It is not an enemy who taunts me. If not, I could bear it. It is not my foes who arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, and my close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed. As we walk together to the house of God. So it's your spiritual partner. Somebody you worship the Lord with, you went to church with, your close friends, somebody you've invested in. Those are the people, when they offend you, that's where it really hurts. So what do you do then? Don't put expectations on people. I think it was you that told that to me one day, Funke. We were having a conversation and she said, I don't place expectation on people. I was like, you got it, baby. Don't put expectation on people because if you think about it, how many times do you offend yourself? Let's be honest. How many things do you do and you want to slap your own self? I, I know I do. I say things and I go back to my room and I'm, I'm kicking myself. Why did you say that? that? You know, if we can offend our own self, then why do you think you, people cannot offend you or say things that hurt you? Don't put expectation. Nobody is beyond. Nobody is, an, is God. Only God is perfect. Only God will not offend you. P- 
people will offend you. I will offend you. You will offend me too. It goes both ways. So don't put expectations on people. And you know what? I was thinking, you know, John the Baptist, I, this is just gospel according to Angela, please don't, don't quote this. Do you know that man may not have died if he wasn't offended at Jesus? Do you know he may not have died if he wasn't offended at Jesus? This is somebody, not only was he your cousin, Jesus was his cousin. He is the one that baptized Jesus. He is the one that saw heaven open and heard the voice of God say, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. 1154, I'm not stopping at mid, except I'll continue next week. This is a man that said, that heard heaven. Jesus, God said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the man that told everybody, Behold the Lamb of God. I'm not worthy to untie his shoe. He must increase while I decrease. So he knew what Jesus could do. Because he was in a tight spot and he expected Jesus to save him. And Jesus wasn't doing what he wanted to do. He, he sent people to say, are you the one? Or should we wait for another? Excuse me? And you see how Jesus responded. Jesus continued doing what he was doing. And then later I turned to the, 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 the disciples of John. said, okay, go tell him what you see. Remind him. What, the, what was told of him, of the Messiah. The blind see, the deaf hear, the poor have the good news preached to them. That's what Jesus said. Jesus, oh, do you know who I am? I'm Jesus, the Son of God. Who are you to dare ask me? You know, he didn't do that. He just continued with his life. Did what he was supposed to do. I said, okay, go and tell him what you see. And he now turned and said, blessed is he who is not offended at me. The next day, John was killed. Okay, like I said, there's no way in the scripture that says that. But I'm just putting two together because Jesus said, if you're offended, whoa. And here he said, blessed is who is not offended at me. Maybe. But I know John was offended at him and I know John didn't turn out well for him. Offense is dangerous. Offense is dangerous. So how do you live an offense-proof life? Just choose a life of peace and tranquility. Just, it's a decision, it's a choice. You know what? Nobody's going to make me come out of my peace. You just shield yourself. No matter what, you have a God. You say, God, my heart. God, my heart. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I choose to be a mature son of God. I don't want to be a slave anymore. I don't want to be a baby dealing with milk. I am past that. It says the peace of God is what guards your heart and your mind through Jesus. Philippians 4 verse 7. And then 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 16 says, Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. So you decide that always and by all means I'm going to be at peace. It's a decision we all have to make. Then number two, don't deny the offense. That's how to offense-proof your life now. Just choose the life of peace and tranquility. Number two, don't deny the offense. Matthew chapter 8 verse 15, it says, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses, you have won that person back. Now, there are times this is not possible. You know, there are times it happens, but you in your heart stay at peace. 
And know that if that opportunity ever comes for you to sit down, you talk it out. Okay, what did I do? And when you're talking it out, it's not like you did this to me, you did that to me. Oh, what, could, what did I do that made you offended? So your whole goal is for peace and reconciliation. Okay? Then number three, don't fight back. When somebody offends you, don't fight back. It never results in any good thing. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. He says, Now therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. He's saying it's already, it's already a failure. You're not going to gain anything if you go to court or you start arguing and fighting among yourselves. He says, Why do you not rather accept wrong? Just accept, okay. You say I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But you know our flesh doesn't want to do that. He says, why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? That, that, that one right there, I won't lie to you, that got me. You know the person cheated you. You know the person dogged you out. You know the person betrayed you. You know the person lied against you. You know the person maligned against you, but God says, it's okay. It's okay, let them do that. But you maintain your peace and you don't fight back. Amen? Don't fight back. Are you all getting something out of this? Number four, it says, stay focused on your calling. First Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 and 20. It says, but as God has distributed to each one, and as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. You have a call? I have a call. If every one of us stay on our lane, half of the time, Sister Grace, right? If we all stay on our lane half of the time, we won't be fighting. It's when you want to tell Sister B that they're not prophesying right. Or the one that's prophesying wants to tell the one singing, you didn't sing that note. You come and sing it now. <laughs> It says, verse 20, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. So just, stay, just do what God has put on your heart to do. Whether people come and insult you, whether they lie about you, at the end of the day, who is going to reward you? Not them. Not them. At the end of the day, well, good and faithful servant is going to come from the mouth of only one person. And that is all you must strive to do. And so fighting back and living what God has called you to do because of one person, uprooted, angry, and you go to this other, and then before you know it, somebody, let me tell you, you can't run from yourself. You You can run from people, but if you don't solve the issue that is here, All you just do is you're going to be hopping from A to B to C to D to E to F until you sit down and say, okay, I have a fragile ego. Something is wrong with the way I handle things. I talk to people. I'm too easily offended. Lord, help me. That is the only way. That's what I'm saying. We don't, right now, this, like I said, we are not trying to focus on the the so-called big spiritual things. We know those things. The things of the soul. Is where the enemy is getting us. 
And then the last thing, you have to bless and pray for those that have offended you. Hard to do. Hard. I learned that the only way I was able to do that was from my husband. To actually see him going because of the scripture. Let me show you the scripture. In Psalm, first of all, Matthew 5, 44. It says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. This one is very hard though. Hard. Do good to those. See, for me personally, it's not. I don't fight. I'm not a person that I don't fight much for myself. I've always been the kind of person that take up for the weaker person. So most of my battles, it's never about me really. You can insult me, I don't care. But if you insult my husband, or if you talk my children, or talk bad about people that I love, I'm ready to take my shoes off. So this is kind of hard in the situation, but it says you have to do, this is how to do it. I'm making it like fun and whatever, but I'm not like that anymore. Really, I'm not. I, 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 ha- I had to overcome this because I saw the way my husband lived his life. Because as a pastor, people do you things. I mean, people will write letters and just insult you. And I'm like, can I just go to their house? Or we see them at the store, and they pretend they don't see him, and he's the one going to greet them. And I'm fighting with him all the way home, and I, we're about to pray at night before we go to bed, and he's spending five minutes praying for somebody that just wrote you a letter, that just cursed you out and told you you were good for nothing. You're praying for that person. But look at what it says in Psalm 35, verses 11 to 14. That was David talking. He says, fierce witnesses rise up. They ask me things that I do not know. They reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. But as for me, as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting for somebody who did that to you. And my prayer will return to my own heart. I paced about as though he were my friend or my brother. I bowed down heavily as one who mourns for his mother. So he's saying here that even when they did me wrong and they caused me so much sorrow, I fasted and I prayed for them as I would my mother and as I would my brother. And I'm telling you, if all of us can get to that place, that is really the biggest trick to make you sail above offenses. Because you cannot hate somebody you pray for. You cannot have evil desires for somebody you're praying for, for God to bless them. You cannot. You just cannot. Because evil and good cannot dwell in the same heart. So when you find your heart angry, and you just, oh, they did me. On a Monday fast, tomorrow, you probably will have a lot of fasting to do tomorrow and a lot of praying. Probably a lot of names you're going to put on there and your fast tomorrow will be for them. Because the Bible shows us what to do. Those people that have really hurt you, tomorrow uh, tomorrow as you fast, when you break your fast, whenever it is, please pray for those people. And you'll be surprised how that will relieve you of those feelings, of those that actually they don't even know that you have. It's you that's just wound up like a clock. Amen? You know, we have these things we can't do it on our own. <laughs> it takes the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to say, Holy Spirit, help me. 
Because he's our helper. The Bible says it's our helper. The Bible says it's not by power. It's not by mind. It is by the... So stand up. Let's ask the Holy Spirit for help this morning. We're just going to ask him for help because this is not what a human being can do. We cannot do this on our own. But is it possible? Yes. Are there believers doing it? Yes. And so we can do it also. Amen? Musicians, come back and just play something soft for me. I really want you this morning. We're going to spend about two minutes praying in the Spirit. And then we're just going to take some prayer points and ask Him to help us. Amen? Take any position if you want to walk around, if you want to lift your hands. Just take any position. Not by power, not by mind, Holy Spirit. It's not by power, it's not by mind. You are the only one who can help us to live a life devoid of offense in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, our helper. Oh, you are the helper, you are the helper, you are the helper. Help us and teach us to live in love. Help us and teach us to live according to the word of God. Help us and teach us to do the things that God will have us to do, to learn to forgive, not to take offense in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit. Oh, help us in our weaknesses to be easily offended. Help us in our weaknesses to be easily offended. Oh, intercede for us today, Holy Spirit. Intercede to the Father for us, Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom to deal with people. Give us wisdom and understanding and a heart of love to deal with everybody. Oh, help us to crucify the flesh. Help us to crucify the desires of the flesh. Holy Spirit, we pray today. That the fruits of the Spirit, love, kindness, peace, joy, will be evident in our lives. Patience will be evident in our life in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us. Holy Spirit, help us. Holy Spirit, help us. Holy Spirit, help us to live for you. To live for you. To show the love of God everywhere we go. Even when we are offended, Holy Spirit, help us to show the love of God to those that have offended us. Because you said by this all men will know that we are the sons of the Most High God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Help us to depend on you. Thank you, God. Raise your hands as I bless you tonight, today. I had a scripture God said to speak over you this morning. And that was in Job chapter 5 verse 12. The Bible says, God will frustrate the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. I decree over your life today that the devil, whatever the craftiness he has designed for you, that the Bible says he will frustrate, God will frustrate the devices of the enemy against your life. This week, any plan of the devil against you, any plan of the devil against your children, 
any plan of the devil against your finances, your family, your, your, your job, your business. Oh, according to the word of God, God will frustrate them today, this week. God will frustrate them in the name of Jesus. As your hands are raised unto him, he will lift you up above your enemies this week. Every tongue that rises up against you, I condemn it in the name of Jesus. Everything you put your hands to do this week will prosper in the name of Jesus. You are blessed going in and you are blessed coming out. The angels of the Lord are about you. You will not even dash your foot against a stone. Oh, the blessings of the Lord will run and overtake you this week. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You are blessed. And when God blesses you, nobody can curse you. In the name of Jesus, go out there and shine the light of the Lord. You are the head, you will never be the tail. You are above, you will never be beneath. Your hands are full of the goodness of God. Hallelujah, in the name of Jesus. You are blessed today. You are blessed and you are dismissed. We are going to have our prayer partners here. If you want to be prayed for...